and ten. Put, 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 football season has started up again. Hallelujah. I can't, I can't get that. You can't do it? Okay. We'll change the last one. I'll let you know. We're going to change the last one. Are you ready for some football? The voice is this morning. Everybody's going to this morning. Matthew's singing bass today. Real low. I'm going to go join the bass today, too. 14, 13, and then we'll sing.
we set him free. But the biggest surprise in redeeming those sinners is that he would save an old sinner like me. sinners I'm thrilled and amazed how we set him free but the biggest surprise in redeeming old sinners is that he would save an old us on this Sunday morning. Grab your hymn book, stand to your feet. Brother Ken's going to lead us as we sing this morning. Brother Amen. Ken. If you can find your red songbook this morning, page number 333, I'll fly away. We all know the song very well. We'll do all three verses. Page 333 this morning. Some glad morning when this life is over. Celestial shore, I'll fly away. Oh, I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have flown, for being out on this Sunday morning. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to meet with us today. We had a ton of prayer requests downstairs in our Sunday school this morning. Lord knows each one of those. 
But I want to ask him to meet with us today. If we're here, we need him here. Amen? Amen. Brother Tim's going to take us to the throne of grace. You pray with us today that the Lord will have his way in our midst. Brother Tim, pray for us, buddy. My gracious Heavenly Father, God, we want to thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning, Lord. What a privilege it is to come and worship here in this building, Lord. And we ask most of all, God, that you will show up and be here with us today, God. If we're here and you're not here with us, we're here in vain. And we pray, God, that you will just bless us with your presence this morning, God, and just clear our minds and hearts of the troubles of this world. And God, those that are in our church family that are sick or not able to be here with us today, God, I pray that you will just be with them. You know each need. And pray, God, that your will be done in their lives. I thank you, God, for the love that you show us. We, we so do not deserve it. And I thank you, God, for just being with us on a daily basis. I pray, Lord, you'll be with the pastor this morning as he brings the message. God, just give him the words that we need to hear. Prepare our hearts and minds for the message. And God, just be with us and allow us to worship you this morning. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want you to listen to probably my favorite song that our choir does, and I sure love to hear Miss Lisa sing it. You listen this morning, I hope it'll bless your heart. Sing it, Lisa.
sorry. <laughs> My bad. Hear me.
Amen. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name Jesus. Thank God for his blood and thank you for being out on this Sunday morning, Labor Day weekend. Let me give you just a few quick announcements before our little ones head out to Children's Church and Junior Church. Uh, first of all, uh, don't forget choir. We're practicing tonight at 445. If uh, you're a faithful member here at the church, we'd sure love to, uh, you to join us. Uh, we, uh, we sing by letter. We open up and let her fly. Amen. So you come on out and join us this evening for practice. Don't forget this coming Wednesday, uh, Awana begins again for all of our young folks. We're sure looking forward to that. And then next Sunday morning, one week from today, is what we call Moving On Up Sunday. That is, of course, our day that our Sunday school classes move up uh, and our children's church and junior church move up. And all of you that are 30 and above, you remember what Moving On Up. Every time I say it, I just want to start singing the song to the east to a deluxe apartment. Amen. In the sky. Uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do a solo. Don't worry. But uh, we, are, we are, of course, doing that next Sunday morning. Uh, uh, don't forget some other special announcements that we've got coming up or some special dates. Of course, our Sunday with the Wisness is just a few weeks away. Civil Servant Sunday, where we recognize and honor all of our local law enforcement personnel. That'll be on November the 18th. We're always looking forward to that. Thank you for those that have signed up to help with our college meals. Our college night this year is on Tuesday night for Cornerstone Baptist College. So that's on Tuesday nights. If you have not signed up and you can help us, please do so as soon as possible. And then next Sunday morning, uh, well, of course, right after our services, we will be having a wedding shower for Lick, Lick and Nydia. I'm going to say that the day I marry them. For Nick and Lydia, it's my own daughter and I can't get the name right. Uh, uh, for Nick and Lydia, next Sunday morning, Wayside will be joining us, Wayside Baptist. Uh, lunch will follow the morning services, uh, and of course, all the information is there in the bulletin. Uh, anybody that can help set up, we always do this on Friday evenings for our showers, so if you can help us ladies especially, set up downstairs Friday at 6 o'clock. Dinner will be provided, correct? They'll have something for food there uh, to help out with that, so keep that in mind if you would. And then next Sunday morning, I also want to let everyone know that we're going to do a special offering uh, for uh, 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 Brother Eddie Gunner's ministry. He'll be heading down to Alabama. Uh, what's the name of the church, Brother Gunner, you're going to? Little Sandy Baptist Church, uh, and uh, Brother Gunner has for the last several months just transformed this facility, amen? And so uh, we, I want to pay that forward to another church, and so we're going to do a special offering uh, that will go into that ministry. Uh, our church will add some to it as a thank you for what he's done for us so that he can be a blessing to another church down there in Alabama. So we'll do that next Sunday morning uh, to help that church out, so please keep that in mind if you would. All right, let me get all the little ones. Make your way up this evening or this morning if you're heading to Children's Church and Junior Church. All the kids, Children's Church, Junior Church, come on this morning. If you're visiting with us, they're going to come around and collect any loose change. This is our Penny March. We support our children's and ladies programming. Take off, young folks.
little ones like Brenda, she just stands there until you give her something. By golly, if you don't have it, you better steal it from somebody else because she's going to stand there. Ushers, y'all could take lessons from that. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fellas, come on, make your way down, man, if you would. Brother Scott's going to come get ready to sing for us this morning. You be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. And God will always bless you for that. I'm going to pray, and Brother Scott will sing for us. Lord, we love you today. And we're so honored for the opportunity just to be in your house. Lord, thank you that a merry heart doeth good like medicine. And Lord, we can come and have a good time in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to give back that which you've blessed us. Bless Brother Scott as he sings now in Christ's name. Amen. I have seen the ruined lives of millions bound by sin. I have seen those in the ghetto with a bottle in their hand. Yet I know this could be me. I could be in that same place. But I'm washed and redeemed I thank God for grace Unworthy of mercy Yet I'm free and saved Unworthy of royal blood That flows through my veins if not for Calvary, where would I be today? I was blind, now I see. I thank God for grace. Nothing good have I to deserve this grace I found I was lost as could be When his hand reached way down Where once I had nothing I now have everything Oh, I thank God for grace that saved a wretch like me unworthy of mercy yet i'm free and saved unworthy of royal blood that flows through my veins if not for calvary Okay. 
stand together one more time page 150 in your red songbook the dearest friend I ever had we'll do that first verse and course have a time of fellowship page 150 this morning
you so very much. Thank you so very much. Ushers, come on and make your way back down. For those who may be visiting with us today, the first Sunday of every month here at our church is Missions Sunday. Uh, we do a special offering just for missions, and then we also tithe on our uh, uh, a weekly offering as well, and that gets us to the point where we're able to put out some $4,000 a month nearly in missions every month. You know what, ladies? Play page 246, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. Love that Fanny Crosby song. Father, bless the offering. Bless each missionary that is a recipient of the generosity of SAGBC folks. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to put these missionaries on the field, both here in the country and all over the world. In Christ's name, amen. Proverbs, please, chapter number 10. I'm going to read two verses of Scripture, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. I will make a bit of a confession before I begin the message this morning. I'm going to utter a word that in many parts of our society has unfortunately become a dirty word. A little four-letter word that has unfortunately become politicized and divisive in our country. A nasty four-letter word that's taken on negative connotations throughout much of our country. It's that dirty word, work. Work. You see, tomorrow... It's, of course, Labor Day, a day that, according to the federal legislation that created it in 1884, is dedicated to the social and economic achievement of American workers. I quote from the legislation, it constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions of workers have made to the strength, the prosperity, and well-being of the United States of America. There are probably folks who are already thinking, Preacher, this has nothing to do with church, Scripture, or the Bible, and you could not be more wrong. In fact, work is very much a topic of biblical discussion. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning. But I want to start by just reading a couple to you, beginning in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. If you found your place, 
Say amen. He, verse 4, becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to hold in our laps the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the outline that I believe you've given to us and laid upon our hearts. And Lord, that you'd use it to be a blessing to the hearers this morning. Lord, I pray that in the course of the message, we'd not be hearers only, but we would be doers of the Word of God. Lord, that we would walk out of here today encouraged over the things of God. But now, Lord, most importantly, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today who's never been gloriously born again, I pray that you'd send the Spirit of God to convict and, 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 and pull them into yourself so that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, nothing would thrill us hearts more than to crown the day with a rejoicing new birth into the kingdom of God. Bless us as we preach in Christ's name. Amen. As so often happens, I want to share with you what was the background for me going this direction on this particular Sunday morning. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in the barber shop, waiting for my turn, scrolling through my Twitter feed, and a, uh, a tweet came in that grabbed my attention. I need to preface my comments by sharing with you a little bit of information in, in the, the television world, when someone is a regular on a series, they, of course, get paid for their work. But where the real money comes in is if that series runs for at least six seasons, and then it gets picked up in syndication. Because then it will run forever in many cases, and every time a show runs that someone is in, they are paid residual income. For example, how many of you like the Andy Griffith Show? The rest of you probably need to get saved. Amen. I don't believe you can be a Christian and not like Andy Griffith. Amen. Even though that show has been off the air so for some 40 years, every time an episode of Andy Griffith runs, the descendants of all of those actors and actresses and, 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 and directors and lighting crew, those descendants are their Charitable foundations receive residual income based upon the airing of that show. Many folks, if they are lucky enough to be landed in a series that goes into syndication, are literally set for life if they choose to do so. Some of you who are my age and above will remember the old show, The Cosby Show. It was for many years the number one show in America and did great things during its day to show an African-American family in a professional setting. Some of you may remember the actor named Jeffrey Lewis Owens who played the son-in-law of Bill Cosby. He played a character by the name of Elvin. That actor spent several seasons, five in fact, on the show, 
which meant that every time that the show ran, uh, the actor, Jeffrey, uh, would receive residual income uh, because of his acting efforts uh, during the 10-year run of The Cosby Show. However, you're also very familiar with what's happened to Bill Cosby. You know the gross allegations that have been raised against him, and as a result, uh, there are no airings of The Cosby Show anywhere in the world. Networks refuse to air it. It's not played in syndication anymore uh, out of the idea that they did not want to glorify uh, Bill Cosby or sensationalize the accusations made against him. This is an important point because it's not only Bill Cosby now that is punished. Uh, everybody who works on that show or who had any affiliation with that show is also now punished because they're not receiving uh, residual income. As a sidebar, this is not the message, but it is a reminder to me that we don't sin in a vacuum. That when we dive into sin, it doesn't just impact us, but it impacts those around us as well. Long story short of it, the tweet that came up on my Twitter feed was over the fact that Jeffrey Lewis Owens, there was a picture of him there, because he has no residual income, because the, the Cosby Show is not aired anywhere in the world now, uh, was forced to take a job as a cashier uh, at Trader Joe's in New Jersey. There's a picture of him with two or three others uh, in a selfie. He's waving, giving a thumbs up. And what really astounded me uh, were the comments uh, that came in after that picture. I'll preface this by saying I don't make it a habit to read the comments. In fact, more often than not, I refuse to look at them uh, because, to be candid with you, there's some pretty foolish people out there. My mama used to say things like, you just can't fix stupid. Amen. But I broke my own rule, and I began to read some of the comments that were put out there over the actor Jeffrey Owens uh, taking a job as a cashier at Trader Joe's. Can I just pause a moment and say, when I first read that, my first thought was the poor guy, bless his heart that he had to do that. And then my second thought was, good for him. Good for him for realizing that he still had to put food on the table. Still had to clothe his family. And so good for him for manning up and saying, I'm not beneath taking a job that will pay perhaps minimum wage so that I can still make a livelihood for my family. But the comments that came in after it, were so nasty, so spiteful, uh, so degrading uh, over the fact that he would dare uh, take such a job, I thought to myself, when in America did we flip the script uh, so that going to work is seen as a negative? When in our country did we flip the script uh, that we think uh, that going to work is somehow a bad thing to do? I recognize this morning that there will be plenty who think that this is not a biblical message. This is not a Sunday morning message. I hope when you walk out of here today, you will realize that just the opposite is the case. For the Bible, and especially the book of Proverbs, has much to say about the importance of work in our society. Before I get into the message, I want to preface it with two things. First of all, number one, by comments this morning will not be about anyone who cannot work. Let me be clear. I recognize the fact that there are plenty in our society who are unable to work. 
either through disability, mental conditions. I get all of that. I understand that. And my comments are not directed at any of those individuals. Secondly, my comments are not intended to, to those who have spent a lifetime working and now you're enjoying the fruits of your retirement in your later life. Would you look at me? You've earned it. You ought to enjoy it to the fullest. My comments this morning will be to my generation and the generation that comes after that and the generation that comes after that. Because my Bible tells me that I believe it is time that we put the labor back in Labor Day. Let me say that again because I like it and I made it up. It's time for us to put the labor back into Labor Day. Give you three things quickly this morning, all of which are taken right out of the Bible. Number one, I want you to note with me the pattern for work. The pattern for work. First thing we see this morning about work is that God values employment. God values work. How do I know that? I only need to read the first two chapters of Genesis to know that. Because when we begin to read about God, uh, we begin to understand the characteristics of God. Uh, and as I read it, it says God spoke, God created, God did. Uh, for the first six days of creation, God worked over and over and over. Uh, we have a very clear example uh, that if we seek to be like God, uh, we're going to be engaged in work. But I'll also remind you that when God created Adam, the first thing he did was put him to work. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Please note that this is before the fall of man. This is before paradise was lost. There are plenty who believe that work is somehow part of the curse. That when man was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they were forced to work. We're going to look at that in just a second, but I want you to hunker down on this thought. Even in paradise, God told Adam, you got to go to work. He told Adam that it is your responsibility to tend to the garden, to dress it, and to keep it. Well, if God said that we need to work, who are we to decide that work is beneath us? And certainly, after the fall of man, God used work as the means by which God would provide for the needs of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face. Shalt thou eat bread? In other words, if I may paraphrase that, God says, uh, you want to eat? You got to work. You want to be fed? You got to work. There are many who believe that somehow work is only associated uh, with the curse, with the fall of man. Uh, you could not be more wrong, uh, for during paradise, uh, work was created as a means by which God would bless mankind. The pattern for work. But it is in point number two, that I want to hunker down and spend most of my morning message. I hope you'll amen me. I hope you'll participate with me, even if I'm uttering a dirty little word that's become so controversial in culture today. You see, we go from number one, the pattern for work, to number two, the problems that have now become associated with work. The problems that have become associated with work. I've got four of them that I want to give you. Number one is a problem that I think is epidemic in our society today and is seemingly taking hold across our country. 
It is a nasty little word called laziness. Laziness. May I be candid this morning? I feel embarrassed almost saying this in front of the person who is my boss on my job, but I've said this in front of her, so I think she'll excuse me. I have a massive character flaw. I know it's a character flaw. I work on it, uh, but I usually fail because I have to be candid. I don't have a lot of tolerance for a lazy man. Amen. Because when I read my Bible, uh, there is something that God created in a man that when he is physically able, and again, I get those who are not, uh, but when he's physically able, uh, he has an innate desire to work uh, to provide for his family. And so that you know that I'm not making this up, I want you to look in your Bible at the many, many verses that speak about laziness. In, uh, in Proverbs, there is a word that is used to talk about a lazy person. It's the word called sluggard. Now, we usually use the word slugger today to talk about someone who's adept on the baseball diamond. I'm using the word sluggard which is a word used in Proverbs in your King James Bible over and over to speak of someone who can work but won't. May I park here a moment and remind all of us, I am not speaking about those who cannot work, but I'm speaking about those who can but won't. You see, laziness is never valued in Scripture, church. In fact, we are commanded to help those who cannot help themselves, but nothing is ever said about those who will not help themselves. Notice, if you would, in chapter 6 of Proverbs, please. Verse number 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6. I want you to note with me that according to these few verses, uh, laziness uh, brings scarcity and poverty. Verse number 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of their sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. Can I paraphrase that again? The Lord is saying through the inspiration of the Proverbs uh, that laziness uh, has no place uh, in God's economy. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, The sluggard will not plow uh, by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. Can I paraphrase that? If we can work and we won't work, uh, we should not be surprised when we don't have food to eat. Amen. I get the fact that this is not popular today, but may I remind you that there is a reason that work is referred to as the Protestant work ethic. It is, amen, it is something that has evaporated in our society. It is something that has been lost in our society. And I do not mean to be political, but I will be blunt. The economic revitalization of our community and our country is dependent upon people recognizing the value of work. Laziness also brings disgrace. Proverbs chapter 10. Please look at verse 4. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. It's what we just read, church. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. 
He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. It burdens my heart, and in fact breaks my heart, uh, that it seems today people tend to brag about their laziness tend to brag about what they got uh, through no efforts of their own. Yet God says that laziness brings disgrace. Turn to chapter 17, verse number 27. Excuse me, chapter 12, verse 27. Chapter 12, verse 27. Laziness also bringeth poor habits. Chapter 12, verse 27. Scripture says, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Can I paraphrase that? Because what this is referring to is someone who makes the effort to go out and kill something to eat, but candidly is too lazy to cook it. Read it again. Notice what it says. It says, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. He does the fun part. He goes out and sits in the tree. He gets up at 4. I said fun. I don't think it's fun. Gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning when it's 20 degrees below zero, puts on the camo, sprays himself down with deer stink, uh, and then enjoys killing the deer. But then won't cook it while his family goes hungry. There's something wrong with that picture, church. I don't need to tell you this, but In our job with the college, uh, we often work with human resources personnel. Uh, We work with people uh, who are CEOs of organizations. Uh, Dr. Godwin and others at the college will back me up on this. What we hear over and over and over when we ask them, what do you need uh, in your employees? Uh, What do you want us to produce? Uh, And they say over and over, somebody that will show up on time, that will pass a drug test, that will stay for an honest eight hours wage, who will stay off the Bloom cell phone when they're being paid to work, uh, who will do the things that we just used to call good common sense work. God help us, church. Years ago, we lost it in our society, I believe. You see, just in my position, I've heard the following, I jot them down when I hear them, I've heard the following statements with my own ears. I'm not going to work when somebody tells me what to do. Well, you're going to be hungry. And you ought not to be surprised when you are. I have heard, I'm not taking orders from anyone. Well, God in heaven above, don't get married. I've heard, I can't work there. I don't like the people I work with. I've heard, my boss doesn't know what he's talking about, so I quit. My favorite one, I can't work there because it's not fun. You ain't paid to have fun. You're paid to work. And we have decided in our society in some elements uh, that our personal desire for fulfillment uh, supersedes uh, the desire that we have to put food on the table. God help us, church. I'm being candid with you this morning. That is counterintuitive uh, to what Scripture describes. Turn with me quickly to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. This is my life verse. My favorite verse in all of the Bible. 
The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Yeah, man. I'm going to put that up on every wall of my office. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. You understand in reality what that means. You see, folks, we tend to value, listen carefully, that which we have worked for. We value that which we have earned. When something is constantly given to us, through no effort of our own, we devalue it. But when we have to work for it, we value it. You understand that idea? It's probably one of the reasons why we don't give our children everything they ask for. I've shared this story with you a thousand times, uh, but I like sharing it. Uh, the, the work ethic uh, has been instilled in me since the time I can remember. I don't ever, most of you did not know my mother. You only knew her during the latter years of her life when she was so sick. But my mother was one of the hardest working women I knew. My father worked two jobs to put food on the table. And then they would both come in on Sunday afternoons and do the church books because mother was the treasurer and the clerk and daddy was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher and they both sang in the choir. It was constantly doing something, whether it was for the two jobs that dad worked, one at Kroger, one on the weekends, the job mother worked, doing something for the church. There was never a time when work wasn't valued in our home. I've shared with you a thousand times the day I turned 16, I got the keys to a very beat-up Oldsmobile in one hand and a job application in the other that had already been filled out. All I had to do was sign it, and I can promise you if I wouldn't have signed it, my daddy would have forged it. Because there was never a question in my house. You want a car? You want gas? You want a date? Your tail's going to work. There was never a question. And by the way, my job didn't let keep me out of church. He wouldn't let me do that either. It was a hard life. I had to be in therapy for years. But the reality is, folks, when we earn it, we value it. When I changed my major in college, told my parents I was going to have to stay an extra for a couple of years. Turned that four-year degree into the best six years of my life. My parents looked at me and they said, we saved enough. We did everything we could to put you through four years. After that, it's on you. May I tell you that I'm grateful for the four years they put me through? But I understand the value of the next 18 years because I had to figure it out. And you value what you work for. Notice, if you would, chapter 24, please. Chapter 24 of Proverbs. Candidly, this is not something we like to talk about from the pulpit. So I'll simply read it from Scripture. Laziness leads to ruin. Laziness leads to ruin. Look, if you would, please, verse number 30. Chapter 24, verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful, by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, 
nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Do you get the picture, folks? I walked by, it says in verse number 31, or verse 30, the field of the slothful, the lazy person. And everything was grown over. It was falling apart. It was falling in. Verse 2, then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come. It's one that traveleth. Thy want as an armed man. Scripture is very clear. I'm going to show you in a moment how God blesses those who roll up their sleeves and get down to the business of work. But you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Laziness is a mark of shame in God's economy. That's not my idea. That's not my opinion. That's Bible. So moms and dads, grandparents, be proud when you look at your young person and say, go make your bed. Let me throw some Bible sweat on you. When your parents look at you and say, you're not leaving your room like that, uh, they're setting you up uh, to be a productive citizen later in life. Amen. Bill Gates has a ten list of things that he recommends uh, to the next generation, and number one is to make your bed every morning. It sets good habits. My favorite is number ten because it says, be nice to the nerds because you're going to end up working for one. Amen. Laziness has no place in God's economy. Another second one, if you will, characteristic that is associated with a failure to work is the idea of greed. By that I mean, simply note this, there is nothing wrong with bettering ourselves. But greed is the idea that what we have is never enough. Do you understand there's a fine line there, church? There is nothing wrong. In fact, I'll show you in Scripture where I believe God values. The Bible puts value upon work and bettering ourselves. But Bible is also very clear. Paul himself says, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. Proverbs 27, 20 says, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man who are never satisfied. May I be blunt this morning? Failure to be content with that which which we have can lead to some really stupid mistakes. Number one, the pattern for work. Number two, the problems associated with work. And number three, the power of work. When we work with a godly attitude, God uses that as the instrument by which he blesses us and our family, but he also uses that as the instrument by which we can witness to those around us. Let me make a very bold statement here, folks, and I hope you will amen me, but as a believer, the Christian ought to be the best worker in the plant. Amen. When you let people know that you are a child of God, then that means that we ought to be the best, hardest worker on the premises. Why? Proverbs chapter 10. Again, we've already read it. Let me read it again. 
Verse 4, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Uh, Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, uh, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Listen to what I'm about to say. God never promised us that you would not go through challenging times. He did not promise us that you would not have challenging financial circumstances. May I be blunt this morning? My wife and I tried for five years to have children. She could never conceive. We thought we were not going to have kids. We took in a teenager uh, from Wayside Baptist. Uh, She lived with us. Uh, Then we took in another teenager uh, from Wayside Baptist. She lived with us. Uh, And then my wife got pregnant and had James. uh, And 12 months later, she comes in and says, Honey, I'm pregnant again. I said, I haven't lost the weight from the first one yet. What are you doing? We had four kids in a little two-bedroom trailer. Lydia was two months old, uh, got stricken uh, with uh, an infection, was in the hospital for nearly two weeks. The bills were astronomical. I'm a little public school teacher. Renee's not working. I'm thinking, well, she's working at home. The hardest job there is, candidly. I tried that for a little while. There ain't enough money in the world for me to stay at the house. Oh, sweet Jesus, no. And so I remember getting on my knees and saying, Lord, we're trying to do right. We're doing the right thing. I don't understand why we're going through this. I wish I could tell you that I got off my knees and everything was good and hunky-dory. It took a long time for us to get out of that debt because of the hospital bills. But would you look at me? God never one time failed us. Never one time let us down. We never went hungry. We never missed a meal. We didn't eat filet every day. We lived on hamburger helper and ramen noodles, and I got fat and happy. Amen. David said, I was young. Now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed go begging for bread. Work is the instrument by which he provides. I want to really hit on this second point. Work is also honorable. Brings honor to ourselves. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Slothful shall be under tribute. Perhaps my favorite verse in all of Scripture dealing with it, Colossians 3, 23, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Can I tell you what that means? If you're a ditch digger, dig it for the glory of God. If you're a coal miner, mine for the glory of God. If you're a bank teller, tell for the glory of God. If you're a teacher, teach for the glory of God. If you're the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company, do it for the glory of God. And understanding that God gave you the health, God gave you the skills, God gave you the abilities. Do it as an instrument of honor because work is honorable. You're doing it for the Lord. Notice also, work brings witness. Work is a physical activity. It has a lot to say about our relationship to God. We love to read about the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. Go read it. Go read it. Read Proverbs 31, virtuous woman, and you will see that that is one of the hardest working women that's ever been. Works in her home, works outside of her home. She's the original entrepreneur, got her own little business uh, where she's buying and selling. Uh, She's taking care of her family. Uh, Yes, that virtuous woman is a hard-working woman. I want to close today with two very quick illustrations. Two very quick illustrations. You can close your Bibles. Two little stories that I hope will 
kind of put a bow on why I think this is so important in our society today. Not surprisingly, both have them to do with places to eat. If you go to Corbin, Kentucky, you might find a museum off on the side of the road dedicated to one man who had a need to provide for his family in the very late years of his life. Inside that museum is a plaque that's entitled, quote, The Hard Way. Here's what the plaque says. It's easy to prosper by trickery, the violation of confidence, oppression, and all those methods uh, that we are prone to endorse today as business shrewdness. It's difficult to prosper by keeping promises, by delivering value of goods and services uh, with sound merit and good ethics. The easy way is speedy, and the hard way is long. But as the clock ticks away, the easy way becomes harder, and the hard way becomes easier. As the calendar becomes years, it becomes increasingly evident that the easy way rests upon a hazardous foundation of shifting sands, whereas the hard is built on a solid foundation that will never be swept away. That sign, that plaque, is contained in a little museum dedicated to celebrate the original Kentucky Fried Chicken. You see, in 1956, a man by the name of Harlan Sanders was 66 years old, was semi-successful. He had a hotel, and with that little hotel, he had a restaurant that served a fried chicken complete with his grandmother's recipe of 11 secret herbs and spices. But unfortunately, I-75 was being built. And it would be built in such a way that the little town where his hotel resided would be off the beaten path, meaning nobody would stop at the motel or eat at the restaurant. And if he was going to survive, he would have to do something. At the age of 66, he sold his restaurant, decided to go into the chicken spice business. Out of that little business... The age of 66 years old came the idea of Kentucky Fried Chicken. He would later be honored as a... I'm, I'm amen in you, sister. Amen. I mean, I have, a, I have a preacher friend of mine, great big fella, and he pats his belly and says, this ain't nothing but a chicken coop. Amen. <laughs> Harlan Sanders was not a military colonel. But the state of Kentucky honored him with an honorary colonel, uh, therefore, thereby getting the name of Colonel Sanders. He, by the way, was a born-again Christian, was very open about his faith and his love for the Lord. Number two, and my favorite, something that I have etched in my Bible, and the preface. You, don't have, you, you, you can't spend much time around me and not know that I'm a fan of Chick-fil-A. There's a couple of reasons why I like Chick-fil-A. In fact, three or four. Number one is because I got Diet Dr. Pepper, and it's good. <laughs> Number two, the people there actually act like they want you to be there. You walk in, and you feel like they want me here. I've been around some really rude customers who say some really nasty things to these little cashiers, uh, and all of them say the same thing. My pleasure. My pleasure. But more importantly, their founder, Tuit Cathy, 
is who really blesses me. In an interview in 2004, he stated the following, and I'll quote and close. In our scripture, we learned, to handle, we learned how to handle our business, how to give customers good service, and how to treat employees. I believe that being in the restaurant business is an opportunity to serve people. Their physical needs, their emotional needs, and sometimes even their spiritual needs. We believe that God is glorified when we work hard. In 1982, when we moved to our current headquarters, I called a meeting of our executive committee to ask ourselves some important questions. Why are we here? Why are we in business? What is our corporate mission? We established the purpose that drives our company, to glorify God by being a faithful steward to all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on those who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. Our corporate purpose is one of the ways in which we put God first. We're always asked, why are you closed on Sundays? You're missing a big business. And I always reply, we make more in six days than our competitors make on seven. Uh, God blesses us because we're closed on Sundays. I've always been active in church. I've taught Sunday school for 47 years. Uh, we're not perfect, uh, but it's those God-based principles we try to instill in our company. God's allowed us to put our family's faith into practice. We work hard. We ask our employees to work hard. And God blesses our efforts. I don't know about you, but I say amen to that. I say amen to the reality that God blesses godliness. So let's put the labor back in Labor Day. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Brother Ken's going to get us an invitation. I know this is an unusual kind of Sunday morning message. Normally on Sunday morning, I'm preaching about getting saved and living a godly life. But I submit to you this morning that this is Bible. It's Bible. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Whatever your need is this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Whatever your need is right now, maybe God's speaking to you about being a witness at your place of employment. One of the greatest things that will ever be said about you is not what a good Christian you are at church, but what a Christian you are at your place of employment. We live out our faith where we work. Before Brother Ken sings a note, will you join me at this altar? Maybe you want to ask God to bless your place of business. Maybe you want to ask God to to take advantage of the opportunity to be a witness of your place of employment. Why don't you come right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. Brother, Brother, Brother Ken's going to sing one verse. One verse. Folks are moving. Come on, there's room. Come on, all over. Brother Ken, sing us one verse.
every hour. dismisses in prayer two quick thanks service tonight six o'clock i'm going to share with you a topic look this way real quickly i'm going to share with you a topic tonight that i think is so important it's how we get past our past i don't know about you but my past every once in a while creeps up and taps me on the shoulder and i know it's the enemy so how do we get past it we're talking about that tonight 4:45 for choir practice brother ken dismisses in prayer <laughs>